All right, it has been a while, Dan, but we are back, which means this sound. Oh, it's such a lovely sound. Oh, satisfying. And what are you having tonight? Or are you being safe? I'm, I'm not being safe. You go, I've, I've got one of my home brews. Ooh. Yeah. So it's in a nice uh, 750 milliliter bottle as well. So, uh, you know, a nice big one to uh, cap off the night. And it's a, um, I made for my first beer a kind of West Coast Pale Ale. I hopped it with a bit of Cascade hops. Um, and it's pretty damn good, I have to say. I'm quite happy with it. Well, would you look at that? You want to you wanna be really scared? Look, look what I've got. What? You're going all happy on me. I, uh, uh, of course, this is an audio medium, so I'll say uh, I have a double dry hopped IPA. And there's a story for this one. Uh, it's, it's another East Toronto brewery called Eastbound. Um, in normal times, they have great food, really good beer. Um, this one, I am a, growing up, I was a huge fan of Calvin and Hobbes. And the very last book of cartoons was called it's a wonderful world and it all it was it's a wonderful world something like that anyway it ends with they sort of wrap up everything as much as you can in calvin and hobbs and he goes it's a magical world hobbs old buddy let's go exploring and so this is the let's go exploring double dry hopped ipa and at the actual brewery uh, it's written in the font of Calvin and Hobbes on the chalkboard. And so the first time I went in, I said, is is someone here a Calvin and Hobbes fan? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, that is cool. So I've never had it before, but since it's something that appeals to me, it's 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 a line that's stuck with me for a very long time. So let's go exploring, Dan. No, I, I like that. You've bought a beer for sentimental reasons, which is nice. And I hope you're being uh, eco there, because are you drinking a, uh, you know, I'm reusing my bottles for brewing. Are you going to be reusing that plastic cup there? Uh, I've reused this for many, many years. That's good. Uh, There's no more label on it. It used to be a left field brewery cup, and it is from the very first tour they ever offered from their brewery. We were on tour number one. So, yes, this is eco-friendly. We've used it many, many, many times. Good, good, because a few of our listeners won't know that sometimes Gavin and I exchange uh, eco tips and stuff like that, you know, on WhatsApp. And uh, have you tried uh, bamboo toilet paper, Gav? That's all I ever use. Are you joking? No. Mate, it's that's, like... That's what I go with. It's like... Kai, ca- kaibu, kabu, C-A-B-O-O, I think it's called. Bamboo and sugar cane, yeah. I, I can't get into it. It's like wiping yourself with an angry porcupine or something. Really? It's oh, awful. it's fine. Yeah, yeah. I've had no yeah. issues with it. Oh dear. Anyway, we, we started going on to poo now. We should probably change the subject. Well, if we actually look into how our boreal forest is being torn apart for toilet paper, we would change in a hurry. But anyway, you're right. Moving on. We're changing things up. We're talking cricket. So, you know, that ODI wicket hit for six, uh, seven overs, T20 cricket. No, you did no, okay not, there. You got I just a few, you got started a few saying there. random words. Yeah. yeah. Hey. Uh, no, we're not talking cricket. We are talking soccer in cricket stadiums or things designed for cricket. And we'll start first with you, Dan. You're going to be reminiscing back in your uh, university days, you know, your Jack Kerouac on the road beat poet phase, I'm assuming. Um, am I right? Am I close? Uh, uh, yeah, let's just say yes. Yeah. 
<laughs> <laughs> and we're going to Sheffield, mm-hmm. not um, United or Wednesday, but Hallam FC. So we're going all the way down to the Northern Counties East League Division One, level ten on the English Football League system. Dan, introduce us to that. Well, I'll introduce you to Sheffield first because it's um, it is pretty much the best city in the world. Um, you know, I might be over-egging it a little bit there, but only slightly. It's a, it's a <laughs> absolutely superb city. Um, you know, spent three very, very happy years there. I went to go and see all four teams. So, as you mentioned, Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday. Then you've got Sheffield FC, who are officially the oldest football club in the world, established in 1857. But I took a liking to Hallam FC, who were about an hour walk from where I was living at the time. It was all uphill, so you get a bit of a sweat on the way there, which was good. And um, they play at the oldest football ground in the world, Sandy Gate, which was uh, kind of been running there since 1860, which is pretty incredible. And like, I think people don't really know, um, you know, before I get into the, the city itself and stuff like that, that F- Sheffield has a very, very convincing claim as the football capital of the world. You know, in addition to having the oldest football club in the world, the oldest football ground in the world, you've also got, you know, Bramall Lane was opened in 1855 as a, as a cricket ground originally as well. Sheffield Wednesday, I think, it might be the oldest professional team in England right now. Don't quote me on that. It might be Stoke City, maybe, but they're definitely up there. And then you've also got when the Football League was established in 1888, they adopted a lot of what was called the Sheffield Rules because these Sheffield teams introduced things like corner kicks, throw-ins, crossbars and stuff like that. So a lot of what you see today in the modern game was made in Sheffield and the oldest stuff, a lot of the oldest stuff in the modern game is from Sheffield. So like this, no, I feel like it's kind of really grossly overlooked in how much Sheffield has contributed to the sport that we all love. Um, Have you ever seen the movie First Night? No, no, I thought Sean you were going to say... Connor, Sean Connery plays King Arthur. Richard Gere plays Lancelot. Julia Ormond plays uh, Guinevere. And there's one scene, it's another one... Well, it's one of those movies you turn on and just switch your brain off. You know, Richard mm-hmm. Gere is Lancelot, so, you know, go figure. Um, and there is what appears to be soccer and, and headstrong Guinevere, you know, goes and plays soccer despite being, you know, a noble woman and it's beneath her station, whatever. And they're kicking the ball around. And I think a goal is scored when the ball just sort of goes into this hole. And are you saying that that's what it was before Sheffield came up with all these modern inventions? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that uh, that film is very historically accurate. Um, <laughs> like, um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that, that would have been closer to what we've been watching about Sheffield. But then, you know, there are some very, very important aspects of football that have, uh, you know, that are completely the responsibility of that city. Um, so, so the next question I did have is: you may be the first person to ever say uh, Sheffield might be the greatest city in the world, or at least the first I've heard. Now, you went in university, so one, do you remember your time there? And two, explain and elaborate on Sheffield being the world's greatest city. Um, so, as for university, like, I, no, I don't remember much of my time there at all. I was trying <laughs> to, like, um, before coming on, I was trying to remember some some of the days there and stuff. I mean, I watched in my final year at uni when I should have been working, I watched a lot of football, actually. 
Um, but like you know, the rest of the time was just constant nights out. We did a lot of fancy dress. Um, so I remember, you know, one birthday, I think I got everyone to dress up as old people. So I had a, like a, you know, talcum powdered hair and like, you know, got on my clothes from a charity shop and all sorts. I think there's one when, um, oh yeah, it was a farm theme. So I went as a farmer and then like loads of people went as like cows and sheep and all sorts. And then the best fancy dress we did, like just for laughs, was um, me and three of my mates. It must have been like late November, early December. We all, we dressed up, so it wasn't even that close to Christmas, but we dressed up as Christmas elves. And we, like, um, put on these really, like, proper, you know, tight green tights. Um, you know, had those kind of, like, little dress things that elves wear. And we just dedicated ourselves for the whole night out of skipping everywhere we went. And uh, so we skipped You, you English bar. spend way too much time trying to make <laughs> drinking something more than it is. You, I don't understand the fancy dress, Chris. I don't. Like, it's... Uh, God, it, way too it, much it was hilarious. And then also, considering we were quite far away for Christmas, we found somebody who was dressed up as Santa Claus, and we couldn't believe it. So we followed this person dressed as Santa Claus, skipping behind them for probably about two or three hours. Did he know you were following him? Yeah, we started doing circles around at some point. He kind of embraced it. He really enjoyed it. But anyway, you know, that was, that's kind of like a, a brief summary of my university life. It was... Um, it was fun, a bit messy, and I just about scraped through with a good grade, so there we go. Um, as for Sheffield, I've always thought, they, well, one of the big facts they like to say about Sheffield, Sheffielders, they always say, oh, what, what's it got in common with Rome? And you, and then like, oh, I don't know, and apparently it's built on seven hills, and I think Rome's the same. So that's a big fact about it, and it kind of like, that kind of hones you in on why it feels like a city that shouldn't really be there, because around it it's kind of like it's like nestled in the peak districts which is some of the most beautiful countryside you can see in the uk um so you can just drive in your car five or ten minutes out and you're out of the city and you're just in these beautiful green lush hills you know just like little streams tumbling through there's a place called grindleford me and my mates used to go to and just uh basically drive there walk through and at the bottom you could get yourself a chip butty and have a pint and then walk back up it was just it's just a you know it's it's just in beautiful countryside and it seems a bit weird that like old people would want to settle there in whatever year they found that place. It just seemed a bit odd. Um, and then as for like, I feel like I went there when it was kind of going through some kind of transformation because a lot of what you associate with Sheffield is like what you saw in, if anyone's seen the full Monty, um, which is like a town completely ruined by Margaret Thatcher and a lot of people are unemployed, a lot of industry. And that still exists. You could still find that kind of stuff. But when I was there, it was like, you know, I think it has the highest proportion of students to locals in any other city in the UK. It's a real university city. There's Sheffield University and Sheffield Hallam University. And it's um, so you kind of got this two, these two sides where you can find the fantastic pubs, um, you know, like Kellam Island Tavern and Fat Cat are incredible and just over the road from each other. The Sheffield Tap and the train station is an incredible pub, beautiful architecture. And I used to go to this place called the Washington as well, which was on my way out of town for like the last pint of the night, which is a really good spot. So you can find all these, you know, Abbeydale Brewery, their Moonshine Pint is their kind of famous one. You've got Kellam Island Brewery, Easy Rider and Pale Rider. You can normally see around quite a few pubs, you know, outside of Sheffield in the north. So you've got all that kind of like old man stuff, you know, where you kind of see a bloke in the corner with like a, a nose, like a rope knot or something like that. 
you kind of see all that kind of stuff, but then you kind of see all the the modern and exciting stuff. So you got all these like horrendous, you know, shiny bars like vodka revolution and all this kind of stuff, which is just terrible to kind of cater for the students. And but there's also this kind of like exciting underground music scene when I was there, where like Arctic Monkeys were exploding when I was there. Uh, you had like Little Man Tate, Long Blondes, Milburn, Richard Hawley, who I saw once or twice who, you know, on nights out. He was a bit of the godfather of the Sheffield music scene. So it's like it, it was definitely changing Sheffield when I was there. But you could still see the old industry and you could still see that old charm. And it it very much has like a. a a working class but extremely neighbourly feel. Like it, it does seem like you can bump into people very often and just like, you know, like a Sheffield lass, like an old Sheffield woman is like the most friendliest person you can find on the planet. You, I, I, my mind was stuck on the full Monty. I haven't seen it, but I do like Robert Carlyle. He played a very mean Hitler in a miniseries called Hitler, The Rise of Evil. I'd never heard of that. I didn't know he did that. He did, and he's uh, yeah, he's nasty in it. He's but, and um, also he's uh, also stars in our favorite film. There's only one Jimmy Grimble as well. It's true. He was the coach. But um, yeah, I love what you mentioned. How quick it is to get out of the city. Living in Toronto, that's one of the thing that that kills me more than anything. It takes you an hour, an hour and a half just to get out anywhere. <laughs> um, and you know, I love escaping from hustle and bustle as quickly as possible so there's so many times where it's like i'd love to get out but it's just not worth it because by the time i get out i have to come back in <laughs> yeah yeah now hallam fc sandy gate stadium what drew you in there nerding out um i remember just kind of like messing about on the internet maybe my first year at uni and just like Find you know reading into Sheffield FC, the oldest football club in the world, and thinking, oh, it'd be quite cool to go and see them. But then I saw, oh no, if it might mentioned on Sheffield FC's Wikipedia or something like that. Oh, Hallam FC, who are they? Oldest football ground in the world. Like, why does nobody know about this? Like, it's <laughs> it's weird. Like, nobody knew about it. So I dragged my girlfriend at the time up this hill, and as I said, it was a bit of a walk. Um, and I went there, and I just found it to be. I love non-league football, like I've always loved non-league football, but I found it to be really welcoming. Um, I found, um, you know, they had you know, decent beer on tap, if I remember correctly. Um, kind of had these, uh, you know, these little kind of like quirks, you know, which I came to know over the time of going there. Like we used to call the uh, the pies that they used to sell out the little shop there, we used to call them crab pies, like me and a few lads that used to go there because they'd be so horrendously overcooked that people would just take a fork and just eat the filling and just leave the pastry just like around. So it kind of looked like a kind of shelled out crab, just like... It's the stereotypical like... British food. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So you see those like kind of lying around the place. Um, and, you know, it kind of, you know, as, as I said, I got to know it, I kind of went went a fair bit. I mean, there was like a, a winger who had like this kind of, like a Morton Gamps Pedersen kind of David Bentley kind of early 2000s footballer haircut and that was <laughs> but that was the only thing that kind of seemed a bit footballer about him because he just wasn't good at all but he had the most enthusiastic fan at the games and it was his mum who was just like shouting for him the whole game it was just absolutely lovely um, <laughs> one, of the, one of the best players was a fireman um, so he couldn't play that many games Um uh, there was a one like called Kia, who was I think he played in Sheffield United's academy and like lovely, lovely, tidy player, but just on the heavy, muddy pitches and against a load of fat lads on these pitches, he just you know kind of get kicked to bits on those. It was just um, it was a really, 
really, really special place. And, and you know, I fell in love with it and I kind of wanted to, uh, you know, get involved a little bit more. So I wrote a couple of match reports from just for something to do because I was doing, a, you know, a kind of English course. And uh, actually, I think maybe just after one match report, I got a call. And I thought, oh my God, what have I done? You know, have I kind of like, you know, maybe kind of like mopped some non-league football a little bit or something. So, oh no, what, what's happened here? And they asked me if I wanted to join the board. Um, <laughs> and I, was, I was 18 years old. Uh, <laughs> Did you tell them that? So, of course, I said yes. And, uh, and like the first meeting I go there... We're just, um, I can't remember what the manager was called at the time. It's something like Terry or something like that. And Hallam, Hallam were on a bad run, I think. It, did you, did you immediately go in and demand his sacking? Well, we, we were voting on the first meeting whether we should get get rid of him. <laughs> and, like, I couldn't believe it. I'd like, you know, I've, I've written one match report. It's my first meeting. I'm voting on this bloke's future. So you actually stuff. were on the board at Hallam FC? Yeah. Is there, like, a plaque with your name on it? I don't know. I doubt it. I doubt it. Because, like, you know, I, I tried to go as much as I could. Like, I, as I said, my final year at uni was kind of, I think I mentioned before, that's my record in the season. I did 63 games. And that's because I was watching City. And if I wasn't watching City, I'd be watching Shrewsbury. And if I wasn't watching Shrewsbury, I'd be watching Hallam FC. So I watched them a lot. But, like, yeah, that was a bit of a... <laughs> a bit of a shock, and they invited me to do that. But wow, what what an absolute experience! Did, I, I, did I, you start going in and saying, "I've heard about this guy. We should transfer for him." And you just start throwing your name around, big name players that you should bring in. Well, there were some big names in the league. Well, well, I think Hallam FC's best player. Well, one reason wasn't a fine was this like called um, he was called Simon, who could just win every single header. He was great. But actually, when we were in the league, I think maybe the division above. Um, Jamie Vardy was playing um, oh, wow. for for Stocksbridge, um, but he was like you know a small, you know kind of a bit of a troubled lad, um, been let go by Sheffield Wednesday, and um, and I think I'm pretty sure they came to play at Hallam FC, or maybe I went to a different non-league game in the area, but like Stocksbridge were playing an evening game. But I don't think Jamie Vardy was there because he had a tag on at the at the time because he got in trouble with the police, so he couldn't turn up to evening games because he had a curfew and he had to be home at a certain time. <laughs> so they, they're just like these stories, like in non-league football, crop up a lot. And you know, when there's like like you know, because if you sack the manager, it doesn't really matter that much because they got a full-time job. They're just kind of managing out for the kindness of their hearts. Like none of these yeah. players got paid. Um, but you no, know, you kind of the clubs in this league. I fell in love with it as well because you got they got lovely names like Athersley Recreation and then you had you had three different teams with the with the end Miners Welfare and you had uh, Harrogate Railway Athletic and I really like this one team who I was googling just before I came on who've really fallen down I think they're like fifteenth tier now they were caught they're from this part of uh, Doncaster called Askern and they were called Askern Villa. <laughs> which was amazing. I think they've, they've returned to their, uh, their their first name now, which was uh, Askern Miners. But uh, Askern Villa was amazing. They had this like hardcore away fan who came with this like big uh, like British flag or or St George's flag, one of them, and he was like holding it up, like cheering the whole game. It had Askern Villa across the middle. It was just like you get such characters at this level. It's just so good. Like how can you not fall in love with that? <laughs> well, I'm looking at I'm looking at pictures of the stadium, and it looks like there's a small covered terrace, a very quaint little stand. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Otherwise, there's not a lot there. It looks like first opened in 1804. Hallam FC have been at the ground since 1860, and it is also used for cricket. Um, apart from the guy's mom cheering for him, what, uh, what, what, what sort of support does the countryman get? I mean, if you're asked on the board after one game, I'd imagine uh, there, are, there is a small but voiceful supporters base. It's very small, like, and I'm pretty sure when we handed it in the attendances to the league, we kind of over-egged it a bit because <laughs> I think, you know, we'd oh, say... Well, a lot of people do that that I know, so you're yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I'm pretty sure most of the attendance records said 80 people, but honestly, that's so generous. Like, it, it was not as many as 80 people, no way. Honestly, probably more people turned up to the cricket in the summer. And that was, like, kind of the thing with the sharing it with the cricket team because they took priority... They must have been there for longer, like even before 1860. So, like, there was no chance of kind of making up some lost games at the end of the season or something like that. So they all had to be crammed in. But then this pitch just seemed to never be able to thaw. And so, you know, in the winter months, I remember walking away up there once and it was called off. It's so annoying. Cause you're not going to get anything on the radio saying it's called off. And, uh, and yeah, it was... Uh, it was uh, what, no, there was like a little bit of a hill up to one of the corner flags, so it was kind of half a take corner kicks and one corner of the ground, which was really nice. No, it was good. I I, I promoted them for the uh, for the city as well. Like I kind of got I got like a shirt up in one of the sports bars in the middle of the town. Who again never heard of this team. Um, just and I talked on BBC Radio Sheffield about them a couple of times. Like I, I, it was just um, it was really really fun. I actually had this kind of like, I had Hallam FC general busybody on my CV for absolute years after this. You know, had you not moved to Canada, you could be chairman by now and you couldn't be talking about your team that's, you never know, you could have been in the championship by now under yeah. your guidance. I don't know. I, I would have been well upset if they got as high as a championship. They'd lose all that charm, wouldn't they? I mean, like, <laughs> as I you know, you've been look, you'd looked at a couple of pictures online of the, of the ground, and, and you know, it, it does have that charm. It does have a little stand. It has a little clubhouse and stuff. And mm -hmm. I did go and see the other teams, but, like, Sheffield FC played in Dronfield, which was, like, a kind of, like, outside of Sheffield. Like, some people from Dronfield say they're from Chesterfield because they don't want to say they're from Sheffield. And so that Sort of really... like how Manchester United isn't actually in Manchester? Yeah, exactly. Well, it was like that, and um, yeah. So, so they didn't really have the charm for me. Like, I know the role, but they kind of hopped about the grounds a bit. Sheffield Wednesday, I, I liked. They're near the Owlerton Dog Track, which was a you know a good fun time. It was good, it, just a good experience down there. I actually saw Hallam FC lose a kind of like non-league final to Sheffield FC there, which I was distraught about. And I used to go to Bramall Lane quite a bit because I only lived like a ten or fifteen minute walk from it. And Sheffield United were pretty bad at the time. But it was it was good fun watching watching Sheffield United play. It was a good atmosphere, you know, good pubs nearby, um, and it was a real you no know, city centre ground. Like you can walk from the train station to Sheffield United's ground in maybe like twenty minutes, something like that. And were it's, you uh, were you there when Paul Pesca Salido was playing for uh, Sheffield United? I'm not that old, Gav. Come on. Well, I don't know. I mean, I clear, well, maybe it's just because it's an Arsenal memory, but David Seaman being responsible for maybe the greatest save in FA Cup history when there was a, a Pesca Salido header from a couple yards out, goal bound. Seaman dives to his right and literally in air, like one-handed, essentially catches the ball and throws it out before it crosses the line. Uh, and Arsenal moved on in, in the FA Cup final, or the FA Cup that year. Um, so, 
I don't. I can't remember what year it was. I didn't. No, 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 no. Of course, no. I know. Well, I, I, um, <laughs> I was there when um, Keith Gillespie was playing for him in his like later years. Gary Speed was there. The late Gary Speed mm-hmm. was playing, um, and the two players, two players um, who are actually there now today, um, Phil Jagielka, um, would have probably left just before I started going, um, but Billy Sharp was playing. Um, I used to see him cycling around in my neighbourhood quite a bit because he had a few injury problems, I think. But he's he's back at Sheffield United now for his maybe third or fourth spell. But he's a Sheffield lad, and yeah, used to see the players around a lot. You know, just like around Tesco's, you know, filling their trolleys full of really unhealthy food, and thinking like you're going to be playing <laughs> second tier football. Like what are you playing at? Um, but it was uh, it was good. To, oh, and also um, Sheffield was the home of snooker as well, and I love a bit of snooker. It's where the Crucible Theatre is, and you kind of see a few snooker players getting a little bit worse for wear during the tournament in the centre of Sheffield, which is always good fun. It's just a, you know, it's a, I went there with the missus last time in the UK because she's got a friend who's moved there now to Sheffield, and I just felt like such a warmth coming off the train station and walking around. It really felt like home, which is mad to say that I lived there for three years, but it really does hold a special place in my heart, Sheffield. It's you, you don't, would don't have to say that's weird. There are a lot of places where I could consider myself home, and it's just you you get attached to a place, and it doesn't take long. Even if you've never lived there, you can just sort of say, "Yeah, this is this is my kind of spot." So uh, you mentioned it's it is a, a university town. So is it a place where? Um, well, it's a bunch of people dressed up, apparently, from your stories. But um, is it is it a place where you you might want to have a a fun weekend? Oh, most definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned a few of the, the the pubs earlier. The Fat Cat, Kellam Island Tavern are just over the road from each other. Fantastic. Sheffield Tap in the train station, incredible pub. Um, and yeah, it's just, you can kind of get both both sides of it. You can kind of go to the fanciest stuff. Like I actually, I remember that we used to go to and play. Uh, to go to this pool hall because it was kind of a good night out and we used to play a little bit. Um, and I remember once there was, um, you know, Dancing on Ice. I don't think it's called Dancing with the Stars or whatever, you know, the ice skating program. Oh, in Canada, it's Battle of the Blades. Yeah, so, so that is for celebrities, isn't it? I think. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, like, it's like hockey skate, hockey players trying to learn how to figure skate. Yeah, so like that, that series had been on. And then they, um, I think they did like a bit of a tour. Um, so th- some celebrities. Wait, Canadians did this in the UK? No, no, no. For the for the British version. Oh, so, there's so, a British so, version. Yeah, yeah. I think it's called Dancing on Ice, and that, so like they kind wow. of. Um, yeah, no, no British people can skate as well. So it's I know. Yeah, um, but like, so I, I, we were in playing pool, and I was like, it's a bit busy. Like, oh, there's a fella from Hollyoaks. I recognise him. Hollyoaks is like a crap soap on Channel Four. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, hang on, there's there's Gareth Gates, you know, Gareth Gates, and 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 he came second in Pop Idol in the UK. And I was like, who's that big bloke next to him? Oh, he's got massive hands. Who's that? And believe it or not, you've already mentioned him on this podcast. It was David Seaman. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a chat with him, and he has the most deepest voice, but he's the most warm, lovely bloke who has like his his laugh sounds like it's in slow motion. He's great, and yeah, met met David Seaman down at Paul Hall. And and I'm sorry, I can't help but giggle a little bit every time I hear his name. I'm, oh, yeah, I'm a child yeah. inside. I'm sure he's used to that. I'm sure he is. Well, no, he was called, I think his nickname Arsenal was Spunky. Oh, was it actually? Yeah, I, no I think idea. it was, yeah. yeah. I, I, I do remember his ponytail phase, though. That was fun. 
Yeah, that's when he played for City. He was terrible that season. <laughs> he, he, he ended up retiring early. I think City went through six goalkeepers that season. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's how he ended his career. But he was a good time with Arsenal. And, anyway, should we, should we move on to cricket conversation and talk about your... Okay, um... switching, switching cr- cricket venues. Um, yeah, so that's this is our tenuous tie between destinations. And I will reveal to you secrets of the Canadian men's national team trip to... Dominica for a World Cup qualifier. What year was that? 2014? Was it 2014? Anyway, it was in that range. And Canadian men's national team fans will remember that was, it was the second game that I had done um, with me doing the camera while doing the commentary at the same time. And Ricketts finds Laren on the overlap. Laren's in space and it's 1-0. Kyle Laren played through all alone. There's goal number two for Canada for Kyle Laren. And that's the early goal Canada wanted just a few minutes in. More on that, I'm sure, in a little bit. But yeah, Rosso, or Rosso is the capital of Dominica. That's where the game took place. We flew in on a charter plane because otherwise it would have taken uh, a long, long time to get there. It's absolutely stunning island nation it's volcanic um so you know everything has sort of essentially risen out of the sea a long long time ago um and you know i'm not one for a caribbean destination but we were there so very briefly um but it is certainly one i would love to go back and explore i mean it's 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 very unspoiled in a way um the likes of which i've sort of never been to it's this archipelago yeah where it's um yeah, the, the airport is on the northern side of the island, and you have to get to Rosso on the other side. So it's a winding, meandering, up-and-down trip through mountain passes. But, um, you know, ask away. This, uh, it, was, it was one of those – it's one of those – I call it aspirational travel, where I got a little taste of it. Nowhere near enough, but I want to go back for more. I know. Like, out of all the places – you no, know, you said, "Oh, let's maybe we'll talk about this one on the next podcast." It's the most excited I've been when I've read up on a place. Um, I think, you know, in two thousand eight, it was um, kind of seen as the least visited Caribbean island out of all of them. Um, so it's not tourism, but then you know it has these rainforests, these hot springs, these volcanoes. It's got a parrot on the flag, so I assume it's got some decent bird life there. Um, mm-hmm. Loads of dolphins frequent around there as well. It sounds like one of the best hidden secrets on the planet this place that's exactly what it feels like like um yeah the the parrot on the flag the cicero 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 parrot i don't know it's uh, endemic to the island and um yeah i mean it's just it's just so densely thick with with forest and um yeah it's it it felt not quite i wouldn't say it felt like a private island there of course people live there and that it was the island was was recently devastated from uh, a hurricane back in 2017, Hurricane Maria, and so I'd really love to go back to see how the place is rebuilding. But um, it felt, uh, you know, the tiniest taste that I have. It it uh, it just was people living their lives, and there was no uh, sort of artificiality to it. Oh yeah, I mean, I absolutely pray for the place because I know, yeah, Storm Erica really had a good going on it and I'm pretty sure Hurricane Maria a couple of years later I think it destroyed 
around 90% of the buildings mm-hmm. on the island. Yep. So that kind of puts into perspective just how small this island is, but also, you know, that's that's going to be like about probably two and a half times that country's GDP in a, in, in a year to, uh, to to recover all those buildings, to fix it, to mm-hmm. fix all those damages. So, uh, well, at least you saw it before a lot of the damage was done, Gavin. You know, how beautiful is this place? Because it just sounds like heaven. Yeah, I mean the the airport it's it's tiny. I mean, I think we were on a a 737 charter plane and I think the worry was the runway was just sort of just long enough for it to safely take off and land. So there was a half of a, you know, a heart in your throat being like, okay, don't screw up at all on this takeoff or landing. But uh, you know, just a small road outside the airport uh, we had a few of these small vans to to take us through because I don't think a bus would have handled the roads at all. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's two lane road and uh, I, I do get the motion sickness. So uh, uh, there was an old wives tale that we, that's our theory anyway, told to me by uh, FIFA match commentator, Nick London. I don't know if you recognize that name. Uh, very nice man. We met at the 2017 or 2017, 2014 under 17 women's world cup in Costa Rica. And I told him that I, I have a tendency to uh, get a little motion sickness on roads. And he told me this thing where if you sit on newsprint uh, or a newspaper, you tend to be good. And oh, a little, a little reference on... to our podcast there, Gav, accidentally. Hey, right? that's yeah, this, Whoa, look at that. It's not just Bulgaria where it happens. So um, I put it down. And for, for the most part, it had worked except this one time. And so I remember getting into the front seat of this van, Kenny Stamatopoulos, the goalkeeper behind me, uh, he goes, hey, why do you get the front seat? And I turn around and go, because I might throw up. Anyway, so we're going, and it's not so much, you know, left to right, up and down. It's sort of all of it at the same time. And for the most, I, I almost made it as we sort of crested the mountain pass and then started working our way down. That's when the magic ran out on the newspapers. Fortunately, I had a sick bag with me, but you know everybody in the back seat could hear me. And so, so as the, the, we're working, on, our, the whole team was on the bus, and you were like, uh, "It wasn't in the whole team. It was a small, um, it was a small selection of players." But of course, by the time we get to the hotel, I think somehow the entire team had found out. But we're winding our way down after I had thrown up. Every time we make the turn, all of the players start going, (laughs) (laughs) and so I'm just sitting in the front seat, you know, kind of embarrassed. By the time we get to the hotel, all the players were nice. And even ones in the other little buses or other little vans, they go, you are okay though, right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. But um, yeah, so, you know, even then, even with all that, it was just like, yeah, this place is is just stunning. It's still so natural. Uh, you know, Rosso is is almost just sort of fit. Like a lot of the, the, the cities in the Caribbean, they're, they just sort of, you know, build amidst the forest and there's not tons of, of, it feels like, you know, destruction to an entire countryside to fit a city in. Um, like again, though, I, w- I would love to see, you know, how they're doing because – after seeing that devastation, I was sort of, it was one of those, I've been there, I spoke to a few of those people and, you know, the, your heart goes out to them, especially in a place of privilege where we were. Exactly. And uh, sorry, how would you pronounce the uh, capital? 
I, I call it Rosso. Rosso. I, I think so. But, I mean, it's complicated history. You know, you lot had your hand in, in running it for a while. I think the French did too. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting place. Um, yeah, I think at one point I, I called it Rosso too, but I, I never really clued in on actually listening to it properly. It's only um, about 15,000 people, which is mad. It's absolutely yeah. mad. Like, there's probably 15,000 people who live on my street in Toronto. <laughs> like, that is crazy how, how small it is. So, like, can, how long would it take you to, like, walk from one side to the other? Well, I mean, of the island? No, no, of the, of Rosso. Oh, well, that's it. I did take my little, my little, you know, pregame walks as I was able to do. And, you know, I went one way. And it didn't take long before the houses started thinning out. And I remember just sort of quickly chatting to a, a guy from his window as, you know, of course, people in that part of the world are ridiculously friendly, not afraid to start a conversation. And, you know, we just chatted about the day. And then I sort of, you know, pulled a U-turn, went the other way. And you know, a couple blocks away from the team hotel um, there, you know, I felt like I was in central, the central part of town. But, yeah, it's not it's not big. The The stadium is you know, as our theme states, it's mostly a cricket oval. It was, uh, it was one of those, you know, funding gifts from the Chinese, which I always cynically think of it as a, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you're going to look the other way as we do some shark finning. I hope that's not the case, but, um, yeah, it's, it's the, it didn't take long for me to sort of reach the limit of, okay, there's not much here anymore. Let's turn around and go the other way. Oh, Okay, got to go back again. So it was, it's, it's, it's inherently walkable. <laughs> and how far back the other way did you go? Did you manage to get into the, uh, you know, into the forest and go and see a bit of nature while you were there? Not tons. I tried to get what I could. Um, you know, I think I did bring, you know, my binoculars as, as one does, you know, because of course everyone does that. Um, but yeah, it was, like I said, it was just, it was a tiny, tiny trip because I think, uh, then they, they turned around and came home for the home tie at BMO field. So we really didn't have, it was maybe two nights, maybe th it must've been two or three nights, but yeah, it was just one of those things leaving where it's just like, I want to see more of this. It was just, I got the tiniest taste and it's the rare occasion where I probably remember more about the soccer game than the travel itself. Oh, that is, I'm not surprised you want to go back. So, yeah, as I said, it does look amazing. I couldn't believe it when I was looking at, um, at Rosso. Um, Gene Reese is from there, who uh, wrote Why Sargasso Sea, um, no. which was a yeah response to a, a very a bullish and very welcome response to uh, Jane Eyre that came out. Um, I actually studied that at university. Um, so I was really you know, to, to come from a town of 15,000 to write such a... You know, a legendary novel is mm -hmm. quite incredible. But you know, what's the before we get into uh, the football and stuff? You know, so what did you see of Rosso? And you know, I I I love a bit of Caribbean food, and I don't know if it, they do similar kind of thing there. You know, like the, the brown chicken, the rice and pea, and stuff like that. You know, maybe even a little bit of salted fish. I mean, did you get to try a bit of the local cuisine and wander around the the town itself? Yeah, there was just my tiny little walk. I didn't actually get to go out for any, uh, you know, local domestic food. When we did arrive at the hotel, they had, oh man, these little, like they're little, almost just like little breaded fish sticks that, oh, I mean, you know it 
was probably fish that day, um, and it was probably swimming around just a few hours before. It um, it was so like there was a big bowl of them, and I was just even despite my uh, stomach fallibility on the way, I was right in on it, just inhaling them, and uh, yeah, and then there was your 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 usual you know, your usual chicken, uh, you know, roast chicken or whatever. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, it was again, just the tiniest little taste that, that left me wanting just that little bit more. But yeah, the one thing, um, it's not, you know, there's a lot of just small scale fishermen, like a lot of places in the Caribbean, at least the local ones are, there's no, you know, bottom trawling, just let's haul up everything we can from the sea. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's just the you know about as fresh as you can get seafood wise, and uh, that's the one thing that stuck with me was just that uh, that deep fried goodness. And, and as for the you know, football, I mean, did anybody in this area, which I assume is just mad for the West Indies cricket team, did anyone really care about this football match? Well, the the day before training or the, the training the day before the game. Um, since I was streaming it, I did a little, little, very small intro video, you know, sort of Canada, Dominica, live, coming up, you know, that kind of thing. And I was just shooting some stuff around the stadium. There was a local, almost sort of, uh, not entertainment, but that kind of film crew where she was just sort of, you know, she spoke with Mandre Carr James, the, the Canadian defender who's from there. I sort of you know, gave my thoughts on what it was like being there. And of course, when I'm, when I'm chatting with her, I think one of the players was like, Hey, what position do you play? And I'm like, I'm not talking about soccer. Of course I had to give them, you know, some grief back because they thought I was talking about soccer to this reporter, but I was just saying like, you know, uh, we're here briefly, you know, looking forward to see more of it, that, that kind of stuff. And then the day of the game, there was a, a radio stream. Um, <laughs> they kicked me out of the press box because they had to get their seats back. Um, but, uh, yeah, so there was, there was local coverage. There was some local interest on it. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, cricket, I think is still pretty dominant there. And, and so like, you know, how, tell me about the game experience then. So like, you know, how many people went to the game and stuff like that? Yeah, it was, it was a decent crowd. I remember it was, there, there was a decent crowd. They were, you know, they were boisterous. It was only a 2-0 Canadian win, uh, you know, despite the fact that they really did uh, dominate it. It was Kyle Lahren early, his, his second international goal, and then Russell Tybert converted a penalty. Um, they went back to um, Toronto and kind of finished the business, the winning easily. And, and as I mentioned, well, I'll, I'll give a little inside, you know, glimpse of what it was like doing the uh, live stream that day. And I had, I had been the first to, um, you know, Canadian fans will remember the Canada-Guatemala game in Florida that I did, the friendly, where it was me and a camera, and they had a hardwire, fortunately, internet connection. And that allowed me to do it. I had all, all everything that I needed to do that that game. I tried to do a, a game from Puerto Rico on the same trip, but they used Wi-Fi and the Wi-Fi signal faded, so it just didn't happen. Um, so in the run-up to that game, I was asked if I could, you know, do that again. And I went, uh, I think I emailed someone from the Dominique FA, and I was like, so 
uh, do you guys have internet at the stadium? Not Wi-Fi, a hardwire. And they went, well, we have, we have this and this and this. And, uh, and I went and I sort of Googled what that all meant. And, um, you know, it looked like it was solid enough to hold a stream. So I brought the camera, I bought the, the sort of converter box. Um, and I set up, I think I, I think I had traded emails that day with, with someone at, at, uh, at the Ottawa franchise and um, uh, from Windsor Park and, um, you know, just to test it. And they're like, yep, yeah, I'm getting a, you know, a live, you know, look at it. It's solid. It's not choppy. And I went, okay, good to go. Set up. The radio crew comes in and they're like, we're sitting here. We're doing the radio broadcast. And I'm like, well, I'm doing the video. And they're like, you know, doesn't matter. And I went, okay. And of course, I've got all my wires. I've got camera, tripod, converter box, laptop, all of it. And I essentially just start hoisting it through the window. And I go right in front of it to make sure all my cables were still plugged in so I could charge. And I sort of straddle the tripod over a couple of rows of seats. Uh, and I managed to not spoil any of the connections. The Wi-Fi, or not the Wi-Fi, the, the wired internet signal was strong enough. And we put out this, you know, it was pretty low res. And of course, it's one guy uh, on commentary. But of course, this is, you know, something I'd always dreamt of doing. You know, I was, always, you know, give me, you know, give me a, a middling World Cup qualifier in the Caribbean over, you know, game seven of the Stanley Cup finals any, any day. So I grew up watching, of course, the Canadian World Cup qualifiers. This was me doing a World Cup qualifier in the most no budget way possible. But, um, you know, it was, it was special. I mean, you're looking out from Windsor Park and you get this pretty good view and, um, you know, the hills are behind you. There are some houses on the hills. As is always the case with a, a cricket oval, the stands are just sort of scattered about. But I'm actually just looking at pictures right now. And it was a good good crowd leaving the uh, leaving the facility at the end of the game. You know, it was only 2-0. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was wild that <laughs> there's Canada getting started on a World Cup qualifying campaign. And it's me doing it with one camera at a cricket oval you know, straddling a couple rows of seats completely outside the press box. And, you know, what can you tell me about the, um, you know, the people there? Because I know I've heard so much about the Caribbean you know, hospitality and stuff like that. And, and I know a guy who, uh, who manages Montserrat as well. And he says like, you know, half, half of the islands in, inhospitable. Um, I don't think they you know they, they don't really have much connections to kind of the outside world and stuff like that. But, they are just the, the most loveliest people in the world in Montserrat, and I and I expect it's probably the same in Dominica as well. No, I it, on this. I'm just going to say about Montserrat. I'd love to go there. I hope we can do something about that one day. It just looks like a place I'd love to go explore. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 that relaxed way of living. Um, where, like I said, you know, I just had a chat with a guy who's leaning out the window of his house and. Um, you know, it's it's people living their lives in a very, you know, I'd almost say enviable way where, um, you know, it's it's a beautiful part of the world. Um, it's 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 just a, a, a different pace of life that, um, you know, us in our nonstop 24 hour world, it's, uh, you know, I certainly wouldn't mind slowing things down a lot of the time. But I mean, when the first thing you arrive is uh, at the airport. Uh, the Melville Hall Airport, it's called. There's a there's an ad for um, 
for the local beer, Kubuli beer, K-U-B-U-L-I. And it's and it says, Land of Domino Game Lovers, Land of Kubuli Beer. So it's just, you know, it, I think that sums it up a lot in my mind, where it's y- y- people sitting, enjoying each other's company, playing games, enjoying their, each other's lives. Um, you know, and I, I keep coming back to what happened to him a couple of years ago, and I really hope that they're on the way back, and I'd love to love to see it again. Yeah, now you told me they like dominoes as well. I just love them even more. I love a little bit of uh, dominoes, a little bit of fives and threes and a couple of beers. I can't get enough of that. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it does sound like a, a really, really special place. And, you know, maybe, you know, I'll say it again, Gaff, we may have kids on the way, but maybe you and I can, you know, take off from a bit of parental time and go over to Dominica and see what's going on. I'm always not also not opposed to to load up families and head on down there. There's certainly a lot to to explore. Yeah, no. I've, t- I've I've looked at places to be like, you know, if we ever go back, I'm like, okay, that's uh, that's an idea. Yeah, it's just getting there which seems like a bit of a pain, but once you're there, you know, happy yeah. days. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we were we were lucky in how we got down there, but uh, yeah, it's uh it's sort of one of the more remote windward islands in the in the Caribbean Sea, so it's not like a direct flight to to, to Puerto Rico or Cuba or, or Jamaica or what have you. So it's a bit of a trip, but definitely worth it. Right. I think we've uh, wrapped that up nicely then, Gav. Um, I, I really enjoyed that episode. And I've actually, little do you know, I've got a little drafted email to you with a little audio clip to finish our podcast this time. Oh, yeah? Is, yeah, which is the famous, Sheffield United's famous Greasy Chip Butty song. It's a little bit of a throwback as well, so podcasts I used to do for the score as well, where we used to end every single podcast with the end of it as well, with, with this song as well. But I think it'll be a nice way to wear uh, a little hat tip to the Sheffield bit as well. I will I will fade that out. I will certainly throw that in there so we can fade out to uh, to some of that. But uh, yeah, Dan, as you said, that was that was another fun one. Or as I should say, Dan, former board member of Hallam FC. Thank you, thank you. Yep, yep. Use my correct title, please. <laughs> I have to see a business card someday. <laughs> but anyway, that's another one in the books. He's Dan, I'm Gavin. Newspapers on seats. And let's see where we go next time. Thanks again, Dan. Thank you. I could read St. Joe Fortune.